0: All right. I'm going to primarily be in Matthew 24 today. And this is pretty much just kind of laying the groundwork for what I'll be preaching over the next several weeks. Um, You know, the, the title of the message is The Signs of the End of the Age. You know, and that. May sound a little scary, a little weird, and all the other stuff it includes prophecy, and some people are are kind of uh concerned about that, but we shouldn't be. you know God wants us to know the truth about the end of the age, and he wants us to be prepared. For the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, that shouldn't just take us, we shouldn't be shocked. It shouldn't take us by surprise. We ought to be able to discern the signs. Are you hearing me? So what I'll be preaching on over the next several weeks is referred in scripture Chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew is the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is teaching on the Mount of Olives. And this teaching is on, primarily on the end of the age and what signs we should should be uh, aware of concerning the end of the age and when he will be returning. You know what? I'm excited about his return, aren't you? We should be looking forward to that, not looking at events or worsening conditions and being worried about how bad things are going to be next year or five years from now or 10 years from now. We need to look forward to, to that event that these things are pointing to, which is his return. And we of all people, if we don't tell it, who will? how we can have a peace in these trying times, how we can be full of the joy of the Lord in these trying times, how we could be full of faith and excited in these trying times is because we are looking to a day when the one who died for our sins will come back to get us. And so shall we be ever with the Lord. Are you hearing me? So Jesus spent two chapters where it's nothing but Red. 24 and 25 that means he wants us to know about these times so i'm going to start in the first verse i'll read it through and then we'll go through we'll go through it and uh see what god has to say to us but it says here in verse one jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple But he answered them, you see all these? You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Which had to be a shock to him. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they had a question about these things. Now, Jesus got through, just got through, in chapter 23, he just got through ripping all the, the religious leaders. Calling them hypocrites. They're like whitewashed tombs and things like that. He just, he just basically told them the truth. We can say he went off, but he just really told the truth. And he ends it by talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He said that prophetically. And he just here said prophetically that the temple that that they're so awed by is going to be torn down as well. This temple that Jesus is talking about was called Herod's temple at the time. But it was originally built by Zerubbabel and others who had all returned to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon. You guys might remember a few weeks ago when I preached out of uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 29 that because they had rebelled against God and they had rejected God's many prophets that he sent to try and get them to repent and get in line with God's will and, and obey him. They didn't. So then he sent Jeremiah to tell them that y'all are going to be under the authority of Babylon for 70 years. The temple that Zerubbabel built paled in comparison to the great temple King Solomon built. When they were laid siege to by Babylon, the great temple that Solomon built for the Lord was destroyed. Now, this temple was special. David wanted to build this temple himself. He wanted to build a special temple that was unrivaled, that was a wonder of the world for God to be in. But God said, no, you can't do it. You're a man of war. Your son Solomon will do it because he's a man of peace. And Solomon, and David said, You know what? I probably can't, I can't build it, but God didn't say I can't get everything ready and prepared for my son to build it. And so they built, Solomon built this temple. But even though they had a beautiful, wonderful temple that was an honor to the Lord, Unfortunately, their hearts were not honoring toward the Lord. You know, you can have a beautiful edifice. You can have a wonderful place and it it makes you feel good. It makes you feel proud to be able to worship in a place that is so beautiful and so awesome. And yet you can be further from the Lord than someone who's out in the streets. Because it's not the place that makes it wonderful it's the presence of the one we worship that brings glory to the house solomon's temple looked glorious but it was destroyed because they did not honor the glory of the lord and we need to concern ourselves with that the things that god blesses us with see the temple of solomon was a good thing It, the temple wasn't the problem the hearts were the problem let us not be proud of the so proud of the country that we live in or so proud of the church building that we worship in or or so proud of the houses and things that we have that 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 our hearts get cold towards the one who gave us all those things we need to have a heart that says you know what i'd rather be living a shack filled with the spirit of the Lord full of God's glory and, and, and walking in his will and, and, and doing the things that I know he's put me on this earth to do I'd rather be in a shack doing those things than to be in a mansion absent of his presence and so when they failed to honor God God put them under the yoke of Babylon. But eventually that 70 years ended. Zerubbabel, Ezra, and many others that came back from exile into Jerusalem, God moved on them to build the temple. It wasn't as, wasn't as good looking as the first one that Solomon built. It paled in comparison to that great temple Solomon built. But the Bible says That after the foundation of Zerubbabel's temple had been laid, the old men, say the old men, (laughs) the old men, the the priests, the Levites, the, the family heads who remembered the former temple that were built by Solomon, it says they wept loudly when they saw the foundation laid. They saw how awesome, they saw how amazing, they saw how wonderful that previous temple was, and and they took great pride in worshiping God in that temple. It was a temple worthy of the presence of God. And then they look at this one, the Zerubbabel's temple. And it hit them so hard that they wept. It says wept aloud, wept loudly while everyone else was shouting for joy. See, not everybody had the frame of reference. They didn't see the former thing. But those who did, God has enabled them to, to build a new temple. But they're sad and weeping. They can't appreciate the what's going on now. Because it's not is ostentatious so it's not as, as, as amazing as the, the prior temple that temple however became the center of Jewish life for hundreds of years the temple that Zerubbabel built and although Zerubbabel's temple was less in size and splendor than the one Solomon built God declared in Haggai 2 verse 9 that the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Think about that. This thing is puny compared to Solomon's. It's not anywhere near as well built or, or beautiful but God declared through the prophet Haggai that this is go- the glory of this house is going to be greater than the former and I believe And I believe scripture backs me up on this, that that greater glory prophesied by Haggai was given to Zerubbabel's temple when many years later, Jesus Christ, the son of God, walked into the temple walls. He he was what it all was pointing to. It housed a, a greater glory. the son of God, the only begotten of God, come in the flesh, both son of man and son of God, nailed on the cross to die for our sins and was resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. He came into Zerubbabel's temple, the prophesied one, the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus fulfilled Haggai's prophecy. Are you hearing me? So, like I said earlier, it used to be Zerubbabel's temple, but it became Herod's temple. Not because Herod knocked it down and built another in its place, but because he expanded it. Enlarged it, added to its splendor. He began this building project about two decades before Jesus was born. And he didn't finish it until about three decades after Jesus died on the cross and resurrected. It took him 80 years to build this temple. But at the time of this Olivet Discourse, it is in... The process of being reconstructed. It's not, like I said, it's not going to be completed until after Jesus had suffered on the cross and resurrected. As a matter of fact, 30 plus years after Jesus said this, there was a widespread Jewish revolution against the Romans in Palestine. And the Roman soldiers crushed the rebels. In AD 70, about 37 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the temple and Jerusalem was leveled just as Jesus said would happen. That prophecy was literally fulfilled. It was a glorious looking house for the Lord. Herod's temple. It rivals Solomon's temple. But you know what? That magnificent temple was destroyed only six, seven, I'll say seven years after it was completed. It was gone. And I and I can't help but ponder that. Remember I said that Jesus is the fulfillment of Haggai 29? Hello, y'all there? The glory of the of this house will be greater than the glory of the former house. You know, and if King Herod had his way, which he did, he he finished the new temples, the rubabel's temple, and it went from being this puny thing that made the old folks cry because it wasn't anything close to Solomon's temple it became something that rivaled Solomon's temple in size and in splendor and yet it only lasted seven years now this is just me so if if it's wrong then then it's it's on me but I, I believe that Jesus was already the fulfillment of that prophecy. His presence in that temple made it to where it held a a greater glory than that of Solomon's. But we being who we are, mankind, if just like they used to swear by the temple of Zerubbabel, you could get killed for blasphemy if you spoke against the temple. The temple got to be more important than it should have been. They valued the temple seemingly more than they value the presence of God. And so if they did that with Zerubbabel's temple, why wouldn't they do the same with Herod's temple now that it's rivals Solomon's temple? And God didn't want any confusion about what actually was the fulfillment of Haggai 2.9. The glory of the present house would be greater than the glory of the former house. The present house was the Rubel's temple. The changes that were made to it, it ceased to be the present house at that point. It became something different, a modified version of it. But I believe that temple did not stand long because we wanted us to be able to point back to Christ being the fulfillment of that prophecy. And God didn't want our attention and our focus. He didn't want our temples and our churches to become idols. There is only one God. One mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. One faith, one baptism. Are you hearing me? It's not in the temple, it is in the person of Christ. So this prophecy was fulfilled, literally fulfilled. And the literal fulfillment of this prophecy establishes what I believe is the establishes the tone for the rest of the prophecies in this chapter. We're not going to go through all of them. I promise we're just going to go through 14. And we're going to break it up. (laughs) We're going to break it up in pieces and we're going to do a small bite today. But I just wanted to give just a little bit uh, a, a backstory because I think it's important that we, in order to get the full impact or a full understanding of what the word is saying, we have to try and put ourselves in the place where the disciples were, their mindset how they're processing and receiving this, the historical perspective that they are, um, you know, that they're using to understand and, and interpret what Jesus is saying so we can understand how it impacted them. And so in the midst of all that, Jesus at the end of chapter 23 says Jerusalem is going down. And then he starts here in verse 24 saying that the temple is going down. And so it stands to reason that they're shocked. Keep in mind, they're the chosen ones. Jerusalem is a special, sacred place. The temple of God is a sacred place. If Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is destroyed, then when you come back, Lord, what are you coming back to? I know this isn't the most exciting for a lot of people, but I'm, I, hopefully it gives you an appetite to really study these things and to let God speak to your heart concerning these things. So uh, my prayer is that there is an excitement that is built up because scripture rightly divided read and interpreted in its proper perspective is going to always point you to Christ you know if you got prophetic words and things like that that are pointing you to something else then you need that needs to be a red flag even 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 scripture says that that the law and the prophets, everything pointed to Christ. It's no different now in the New Testament. It points, the first one, many of the prophecies either either pointed to Christ's first coming or his second coming. In the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we've already got the first coming in our back pocket. Right? Pointing us to him and his return. So Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and after dropping this truth bomb on him, the disciples came to him privately. You want to know which disciples? Mark Mark 13 tells you which disciples came to him privately and asked him these questions. Um, Mark 13 it says that it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They came and ask for some further insight. And they said to Jesus, they said, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? And the word their age, is not really like, will be the end of the world. It's more like the end of an era, end of this era. When will be the Sign of the end of the age and of your coming. This dispensation between your first coming and when you will return. When when will be the sign of this? Jesus doesn't really answer the first one. Uh, He kind of does in answering the second question. But uh, Luke... Uh, 21 verse 20 I didn't I didn't give them that uh, answers it when he says but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that its desolation has come near remember I said at the end of 23 he said Jerusalem is going down and then he said the temple but I'm going to focus on for the remainder of today's message the second question which is and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. I think it's important for us to know the truth of Scripture concerning these things, the the proper perspective and focus that we should have as believers in Christ during these last days, and Scripture should be our guide as we endeavor to walk through these difficult times that we are in, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus begins his answer with a stern warning. And I don't think that we should skip past that. There's a reason. That lets me know that these times in which we live are going to become increasingly and increasingly more difficult to really understand the truth of what's going on and walk in that truth. There's going to be so much more deception, so much so much things that are distracting us away from what God wants our focus to be. And so he starts off his answer about what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age by saying, "See, Or see to it, that's the emphasis I gave it. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. I want to talk about that for a second because we've had, we have had many people over the years claim that they're the one, they're the Messiah. Have led many astray, and this is just me, where it was just impressed upon my heart as well that I know that we've been encountering for I don't know how many years now, and and and, and the church has has had to just suffer through it, but. As a minister of the gospel, as a pastor, as someone who takes my calling serious before God, I've got, to call out, I've got to call out the church when the church needs to be called out or those in the church that need to be called out, right? Because when it says many here saying, I am the Christ, oftentimes I hear it talked about that there are people coming claiming to be Christ, right? But that, that word also means anointed one. There's a lot of people saying, I am the anointed, I'm anointed by Christ, saying stuff that's supposed to be of god that ain't of god but they claim to have the endorsement of god they claim to be anointed by him and they're telling you things that if you carefully and rightly divide the word of god you know it ain't christ but in the absence of that you fall prey to it and they lead you astray But there are many that will come claiming to, be, claiming to be the Messiah. I don't believe, by and large, the church. Those of us who are really saved, if someone claim, co- comes claiming to be Jesus, they'll get hands laid on them and booted out of the church. I don't think that's going to be the problem. I don't think that has been a problem for the church. But you let someone claiming to be the anointed... And I have secret knowledge that 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 you don't have, even your pastors don't have, because they haven't pressed into God like I have. And I fasted for forty days, I fasted for ninety days, and we prayed and we've done all these things. And God gave us this special knowledge. And 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 you need to not listen to your elders and your pastors and your teachers and your fivefold ministry. Just 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 sign up, subscribe for nine ninety nine a week. Give me your ears. Give me your heart. Give me all this, and I will lead you into the secret thing that even the people who are called and who are called by God to who are accountable to God for you don't even know. Which, in of itself, is not God's order. The fact that they're calling you to that lets you know that the spirit that is leading them is not of the Lord, because they should be pointing you to God's order not trying to take and plant themselves or interject themselves in between the order. And I'm just telling it like it is. That that that's not God's order, so they're not of God. And we need to shut them down. I don't care how anointed they sound, how anointed they say they are. What you need to do is what's right and what's true and what is uh, the safe thing for you as a man or woman of God, God, what has your word called me to? Who have you called me to? The Bible says that you've given us a fivefold ministry within the church. so if you're, wherever you've planted me, right is what leadership that I need if I have questions. It's where the guidance is. When I need it, I go to the leadership structure because they're going to have to answer to God for me. They're going to have to answer to God for the counsel that they give me. Somebody on a TV screen doesn't have to answer to you. And if they And if they miss it, oh, my bad, we'll see how it goes next week. But I'm not here to beat up on anybody. I'm here to I'm, I'm here just trying to wade through the stuff that is causing confusion, that's causing us to uh, 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 go astray and, and fall and fall victim to bad doctrine. I'm not even saying that the people don't believe what they really say, but it doesn't. You can believe something sincerely and be sincerely wrong. I'm talking about what is right and proper before God. What is God's order? And when we operate outside of God's order, we subject ourselves to deception and to be misled and led astray. So I'm going to encourage you to... To, to do your part, do all that you can to get yourself in God's order. Get yourself in relationship at your church. Get yourself in relationship with the leadership at your church. Invite accountability, invite discipleship relationship that's going to help you stay on the straight and narrow because in your heart, you want to obey God. In your heart, you want to honor God. In your heart, you want to walk in spirit and in truth. At least I hope that's your heart. If it is, just give me an amen then. All right, I'm hearing a lot of hearts saying that that, that's your heart. Just make sure that there are checks and balances that are designed to help you stay on the narrow path before God. The scripture says in Ephesians 5 that we ought to be as believers subject to one another. You know, it's right before the, the marriage verses where uh, it, where, where, he, where he tells the husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. And, and, and has the, the wife be subject to her husband. Right before that it says we should be subject to one another. So, I mean, we should be accountable to one another. Because we're all a part of the same struggle, the same walk, the same focus, we all serve the same God and, and, and he's called us to something, he's called us to something greater than us and he's called us to be holy as he is holy, right? He set up church structure that's designed to help us grow and mature in the things of God so that we're not subject to bad doctrine and and that we're not tossed to and fro by, by, by any kind of trickery and deceit but that we're able to stand strong in the word of God, rightly divided and walk in truth because we know the truth we're able to discern that which isn't. And and, and, and I'm biased, I'm sure I'm biased, but 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 I believe that God has given, I mean, th- what's going on at this church, the word of God that gets taught, the, the, the way we walk it out and live it here is the real thing. And the Lord has a lot to offer you here, anyone who comes here, the Lord has a lot to offer you here that pertains to the faith, that pertains to you being able to fight the good fight of faith in running the race that God has marked out for you. And we will endeavor to do that. Every elder, every leader, every fellow brother and sister in Christ, we ought to be building up one another. And I think, you know... uh, the world hasn't discovered it yet, but but those of us who've been here a while, we know what good thing we got in the Lord. The Lord's been really good to us. Amen. And and I believe he has even greater things in store for us and lives that he wants us to impact. But he says, see that no one leads you astray. If he's warning people about that, that tells me a sign of the last days is that the deceit, the potential for deceit the potential to be led astray is great so before I tell you about the sign of the end of the age I'm going to give you this warning don't be deceived study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that need not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth Those areas of your life that are a struggle, that are a shortcoming, that you know you're walking in sin, don't justify it. Confess it. Don't make us have to chase after you to try and and, and help you mature in the things of God. Chase after us in your pursuit of maturity in Christ. Invite the accountability Do all that you can. If Bible study is happening, be there. If there's a chance to do one-on-ones, take advantage of it. While also doing the things in your own personal life, you know, as far as having your own quiet time and and, and, and getting in the word. But not just for the sake of having knowledge and being puffed up by it, but to be a doer of the word. When you, or when you receive the word, receive it as the command of God and become a doer of it. So, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet. So, look at this. So we've got many people, many false Christs out there, many false anointed ones. You're hearing wars and rumors of wars. It's going to be, it's not a static thing. He's saying this stuff is going to be increasing. There's going to be actual wars, and there's also going to be rumors of wars. And i tell you what, everything nowadays is a war. I am warred out. Everything's a war. We got, I, I tell you what, it's a battle for our schools. We got to go to war. There's a battle for our nation. We got to go to war. There's a battle for every pick a cultural topic. We got to go to war. War, 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 war. Now keep it now. He's talking to the people of God here. He's talking to believers. And a lot of these wars and rumors of wars, we're starting. The church. God ain't tell us to do that he gave us a battle he gave us a war a war that he's already won we just got to walk in the victory in the triumph of the war that he's already won so we're more than conquerors we didn't have to get this victory that we that we have it was won for us yet we are triumphant We benefit from his triumph. He defeated the devil. Doesn't mean the devil still isn't working out there. But we sounding the alarm as though the outcome is in doubt. Think about that. How can the outcome be in doubt of a war that's already been won? So it's not that we shouldn't acknowledge that there are problems out there in the world. But we of all people, we're the only ones that can tell people that, hey, I know it looks bad, but, but God. I know things are to make look like they're taking a turn for the worse. And who knows what tomorrow will bring, what next year will bring, what the next decade will bring, but God. People ought to be able to look at us and see how is it that you have such peace? How is it that you're keeping your wits about you and your head on straight? How is it that you're not wringing your hands and worried just like everybody else? And it's like, because I have a God in heaven. My God, heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool my lord has a name that's above every name all authority is in his hands all right there are some things i don't understand there are some things that i am not equipped to overcome but he's already done it and in him all things are possible amen so whose report will you believe We will have to choose to believe the report of the Lord. Amen. And so there'll be wars and rumors of war, but he says, but the end is not yet. So let's not look at these signs, right? These are general, general signs that are gonna happen in every generation. Don't think that Jesus' coming is near that is on the cusp of happening just because you're hearing wars and rumors of wars and you have people out there claiming to be the anointed one. These things, they must happen. But don't be afraid. Don't worry. See, look at here. It says, see that you are not alarmed. There's a lot of alarm from God's people these days. And I'm coming at you because I I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. We should not be among those who are walking in alarm. Those of us who have tasted and benefited from so great a salvation, let's not cheapen it. Let's not diminish it in the eyes of others because of our fears and our alarm over what's going on. These circumstances, look, I'm not just looking at the circumstances. Scripture says I should be looking above. Can we look at our circumstances in light of the truth that we know about God? Not only can we, but we must. If we are to see them in the proper perspective, We have to look at them in light of our God. Because our citizenship is in heaven, right? The promises of God are yes and amen, right? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. He is, there is none beside him, nor will there ever be. Generations come and go. Wars come and go. Conflicts come and go. But God and his word remains forever. And so I hope as we're reading this, you are personalizing it. And taking it as your own personal command. Okay God you're telling me to see to it that no one leads me astray. And what do I need to do in order to do that? Lord I'm hearing wars and rumors of wars. You're telling me not to be alarmed. People are trying to tell me interpret the events of the day and trying to get me alarmed and trying to get me to go this way and go that way and he's saying, don't be alarmed what's happening it, it's got to happen but the end is not yet for a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places all these are but the beginning of the birth pains Now, my wife and I have been fruitful and multiplied. We've got four beautiful girls. God has really blessed us with them, and they have truly been a blessing to us um, even through the challenges that they've presented us. The one thing I've learned through observing, because my wife is the one that gave birth, and uh, you know, I was there. I was there in support, but she did all the work. The birth pain. Once the contractions start, you know, when, when, when it's time, the closer you get to time to give birth to that baby, when those contractions start. Once it starts, once labor starts, there's no stopping it. You can't, you know, at that point, Christy can't say, I changed my mind, Lord. You know, you're committed at that point. Well, you committed well before that. but, But at that point, once it starts, you can't back out. And from the time of that first contraction, The contractions over time are going to become more intense and the duration of time between them is going to become shorter. So they're going to come quicker and harder, quicker and harder until the final push. And he's saying that all this stuff that he's leading up to, uh, false Christs, rumors of wars, and, and all these wars, nation rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom famines, earthquakes in various places, all these are but, they're just the beginning of the birth pains. Just the beginnings of the birth pains. That's not just in general, just in time, but just think about it. If that's just the beginning of the birth pains, given what I just said, that means all this stuff is going to intensify. And it's going to begin to happen more frequently. More frequently, more intensely. So you're going to have more earthquakes and they're going to be of greater intensity. You're going to have more wars, they're going to be greater intensity. You're going to have more false Christ, and the deception is going to be of greater dis- intensity. It's going to continue to get more intense. It's going to continue to happen at a greater scale all up until the end of time. This is just the beginning of the birth pains. And I think it's important for us to know this, right? We can have pie in the sky. God, just take me out of all this. I don't want to deal with all this. It's, it's bad stuff. I just, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather stay in John three sixteen or something. I'd, I'd rather just, you know, give me a nice psalm that says something uplifting and, and I can feel good about that. But we need to know about the signs of these end times. Because if we don't know them, instead of having a peace and being secure in who we are and knowing what's going on and and being able to speak out of that and to give comfort and aid and and, and strengthen the faith of those whom God surrounds us with, we're going to be all freaked out, full of alarm because we don't know what we ought to know. And I'm telling us we got to stop being afraid of these things and, and, and embrace The truth of what God's word says about the end days. So that when the counterfeit comes, we're able to rebuff it. You know, uh, that there's no space in here or in here. There's no space in my mind or in my heart for your counterfeit because it's full of the truth. And if what you're presenting isn't truth, it gets the hand. Right? I'm just waving it away. Because I know what God's word says and I will believe the report of the Lord. Amen. So nations arise against nations. We have all that Uh, kingdom against kingdom famines, earthquakes, all those things. Keep it on reading. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. There is so much there. And I, I, a lot of it is self-explanatory. But it, it's hard not to spend some time there and, and, just, and just soak those words in. Right? Right? There will come a time when we'll be delivered up to tribulation. It's almost like it's personifying tribula- tribulation. they deliver you up to tribulation. And they will do that and they'll put you to death. There's going to come a time and it's already that time in many countries but there's going to come a time when just as Christianity started, where professing Christ meant you potentially put your life on the line, they were willing to kill you to stop the gospel from spreading. There's there's coming a time where even in America, that's going to be the case for us. And I wouldn't be responsible if I didn't tell you That I don't know if some of, if everybody here is alive, gonna be alive when that happens, but it's gonna happen, because it's gonna happen all over the world. That's gonna be the sign of the end time. It's gonna happen all over the world, you know, and uh, it's not a matter of if, but when. Tribulation will happen. You'll be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That's not just something. That's meant for Israel. That's the, that's meant for the church who has been grafted in. The hate is toward Jesus. But you know, when you turn up the heat, boy, it really reveals the true hearts and true true convictions. Because it says, "And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another." There's something about death. The threat of it. That makes you take stock as to just how committed, just how real your commitment is to something. And when death is threatened, there will be many that will fall away. I won't go to that passage, but there was a passage that uh, Paul talked about in reference to a falling away and he was saying that and he, he points out they fell away but that's because they never really were with us in the first place. You know they might have been in the church but they didn't really belong to Christ. You know in an environment where Where you can hide, where you can play the role, (laughs) where there is no real threat and so forth. You can have people present that don't have a sincere relationship with the the Lord. I'm not saying that that's anybody here. But whatever that number may be, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to pick a side. And if you really belong to Christ and your life is not your own, you're going to have to be willing to give that and pay that price. If so, be it. Because if it ain't, then that's too steep a price to pay for somebody that's just faking it. Many will fall away, but think about betraying one another and hating one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. We have many of those doing that as I speak there's prophetic words going on everywhere and so many of them don't even have any authority that they're accountable to but their bank accounts sure look nice I wonder what their true master is And here's the thing, and because lawlessness will be increased, lawlessness will be increased. It's grieved my heart as I watch the news over and over again. Lawlessness at every level. is not only being, oh my goodness, it's not only being put up with, it's being justified. Is being legalized. It doesn't even, in so many cases, people are losing their lives senselessly because of the lawlessness of someone else, and it doesn't even move us like it ought to. It's just another news cycle, it's just another. You know, uh, 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 it's just another bad incident. No compassion. The love of many will wax cold as a result of increased lawlessness. The more lawlessness is tolerated, the colder our hearts and our love get. That's why it's important not to compromise. Not to be so, i tell you what, that's why it's so important not to be so, party affiliated that we are biased in our perception of what right and wrong is it is lawlessness when the thing that we will convict somebody who is a part of another party of doing but we will excuse and justify it if you're on our side that's lawlessness because if it's justice and righteousness is, it's true no matter who does it. It should hit us the same way no matter who does it. And we should make a stand for truth. You can't make a stand of truth if you're I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Whatever the word is. But, but you can't make a stand for truth if you're not standing in that truth, no matter the circumstances. If you're doing that, then you're not standing for truth. Jesus isn't really Lord of your heart at that moment. You have booted him out of the throne of your heart and you have grabbed the reins and you're making judgments based on your whim. That's, That's the kind of mentality that allows for lawlessness to become pervasive. But because, there's a correlation there, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But, everybody say but. The one who endures till the end will be saved. See, I gave you a lot of stuff that you're like, oh my goodness, how much more of this can I take? These end times, boy, I I don't like that. But it says, though, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Right? You want to know a surefire sign? That thing that will be the, the, the predicate factor, the thing that will happen before the end comes? When the gospel is around all the world. Being preached as a testimony to all nations. All. Not every nation has the technology that we got. Not every nation has heard Jesus proclaimed. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3:9 that God is not slack as men count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. Again, you've heard me say that a hundred times if you heard me say it once. Because there is great significance in that scripture. It speaks to the heart of God and his desire for everyone to have every opportunity to come to salvation in him. In church, that right there is tells me what our primary focus ought to be. The sign that will Be the indicator that the end is on its way is when the gospel of the kingdom has been proclaimed throughout the whole whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Over the coming weeks, we're going to continue this discourse, this Olivet uh, Discourse of Jesus. We're going to cover some other scriptures that's going to bring to light. We're going to eventually cover things, not only the end times, but the, the rapture and and, and and all those things, I believe God wants us to have clarity on all of that. And uh, these don't have to be choppy waters that are difficult for us to understand uh, or to walk in obedience to God in. Um, but in conclusion, before I wrap it up, I have referenced the end of Matthew 23 a couple of times earlier in the message. I'm going to go ahead and read it now. Verses 37 to 39. This is part of what precipitated the question that James and John and Peter and Andrew asked. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus here is revealing a little bit of what the conditions will be like surrounding his second coming. And When Jesus comes again, the Jewish people will welcome him as the Messiah in a way that they did not welcome him as when he came the first time. And he's telling them, he left that temple, he never returned to that temple again. That's the last time he was in that temple, then he went to the cross. He said, I'm going to come again. Y'all not going to see me again until that time when I return. And you're going to go through it, Lord. Jerusalem, Israel, the whole world is going to hate you. You're, gonna, you're going to endure so much. Because God is doing a work through all of the things that you'll suffer, all the challenges that you'll face. He is leading you to repentance. And at the right time, when you finally get it, when you finally are at a point to where you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he has been all along, when you're finally ready to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then I'll then I'll come. I'll come at a time when you're ready to receive me for who I am. And he's telling that to God's people. And they so because they will all be saved in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. It'll take a great deal to get Israel to that point, to acknowledge that Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a good man, but. But he literally is the only begotten son of God he literally was the fulfillment of scripture and that salvation is through him and him alone it's by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone I'm going to ask you to stand I just I just want you to know again we're laying the groundwork today like Jesus laid the groundwork today on the Mount of Olives he wants us to know these things don't be bored of it pursue it find out what God's word says If you don't understand something, ask questions. If at all possible, make sure that you're here over the next few weeks as we continue to go into more detail concerning the end times and what God has to say about them to us. These are to us, these words. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that every heart is open and receptive receiving the word as you intended it to be received. I pray our hearts are asking the questions that your disciples asked on the Mount of of Olives during your Olivet Discourse. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Your word says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And Jesus is Jesus, has proven that he's Jesus because he's fulfilled every prophecy to this point. He's fulfilled every prophecy about the Messiah. And there are still prophecies that speak of his return. And those prophecies should give us reason to hope to rejoice to stay cool calm and collected despite the worsening conditions that we're having to deal with in society year by year by year generation by generation by generation let us not be so focused on the worsening conditions that we lose sight Of the hope, that we lose sight of the promise, that we lose sight of the prophetic word that our Lord and Savior gave us concerning the signs of the end of the age and of his return. Father, I pray that we have a conviction that causes us to go into your word and to seek you wholeheartedly and to learn the truth of your word on this matter. We give you glory and we give you praise. And, and Father, I pray that if anyone here has any doubts about their relationship with you, whether or not they have one with you or whether or not they've compromised their relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you give that person the courage to to come. If, if that in any way describes you, I want to, I just want to embrace you and I want to talk with you and just encourage you in the Lord. I know that Jesus loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. The Lamb of God died for your sins. And he wants relationship with you. There's no sin that you've committed that he will not forgive. There's no flaw that you have that makes you unlovable to him. So don't let fear or self-loathing or shame keep you away from the one who loves you, who sees you as you are and loves you all the same. He will receive you as you are because you are precious in his sight. Father, I pray that that the one who needed to hear that heard it and received it and will make this the day that he or she comes and and Enters into relationship with you, or gets back in right fellowship with you, Lord. I know that is your heart's desire, and um, and I pray that they respond to the call, Father. And this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, uh, we, our Savior is coming again. He's coming. And just like every other prophecy has literally been fulfilled, the prophetic word that he said concerning himself and his second coming shall literally be fulfilled as well. And I want all of us and everybody that you love and care about and everybody that's in your sphere of influence, I want everyone to look forward to his return to rejoice in his return because he's coming back as your Lord and Savior coming back to pick us up and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. I want that to be the thing that we're looking forward to, not fearing when he shows. I don't want that moment for anyone that I care about, that when Jesus comes and it's too late and he's awesome and terrifying and they know that The end has come and the time for redemption has passed. So let that motivate us. Let's let's get our heads on right. Let's get our perspective straight and and let's focus on the thing that pertains to his heart. Let's focus on that sign that will be a sign of his coming. When the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed every nation. Let's be a part of that wonderful, wonderful objective to be a part of every nationality, every nation, every people group, every demographic. (laughs) We're going to do our part to make sure that that happens. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Love you guys. You guys have a great week.